0: Hello. Um, this is uh, Resonant Reels. Uh, I'm I'm Chandler. This is my buddy Adam. I'm Adam. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, this, this is great. This is how this is how all podcasts start. Totally. Every podcast I've listened to has started awkwardly in the first episode because no one knows what they're doing. It's fine.
1: Oh, without without a doubt, without a doubt.
0: Uh, yeah. So we are. Um, Audio inclined people, some of my background, I guess. I've kind of grew up playing lots of music, being in love with music first and foremost, of course. And then I grew up playing lots um, since playing music I shifted into more theater and storytelling so as a sound designer I do a little composing here and there and I like creating soundscapes and telling interesting stories or helping tell interesting stories through sound design and stuff as well as visual stuff I'm a fan of as you can probably guess film and television and I like the process of the behind the scenes of films and lately it's been VFX how about you Adam what do you do (laughs)
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. So I do audio stuff as well, as you mentioned. So I've kind of dived into a little bit of the sound design, creative storytelling portion, which I do really enjoy. But where my career has led me is I primarily focus in the actual like audio engineering side for like live productions. So I've done like music and things like that, which I again, I enjoy. But my heart lies in audio engineering for theater. So that is how Chandler and I met. Uh, was Chandler was the assistant sound designer on a production that I was audio engineering. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I do right now. And, and also just a a general fan of, you know, media and, and things. My minor is in creative media and film, but I did actively avoid any class that involved me having to actually learn how to like make a movie because they did not understand that if you are majoring in theater, that you have no time to take a four hour night class on Fridays. So all of my degree information with film is all like documentary based like analysis classes, which I actually wound up liking a lot more and One of the things I'm hoping we talk about it at one point or or do an episode on um, like my favorite class that I took was on criminology in media and like how media affects and portrays like crime and things like that, which I think we could talk about a little bit with your movie pick today.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely could. Yeah, no, that, that's that's really fascinating. I'm learning a little more about Adam. I mean, we've known each other for four years. Yeah, yeah, right around there. But like, it'd be like a yearly thing we would run into each other because it's the work we would run into each other with, kind of thing. So it was always great, like chatting and talking. And when we would be on contract together, we would go see this ridiculous action movie, and it just became a thing. <laughs> but I remember we saw uh, G.I. Joe: Rise of Cobra. Yep. Right, just for fun. Right, you yeah. know, like, I mean, not the great, the peak of filmmaking or anything, but it's just fun action, you know, and it just became a thing. And it's like last year we saw Top Gun: Maverick, which you know that was actually pretty, pretty, pretty great, decent, yeah, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> like well done well done everyone on that film well done but yeah it's just it was always fun like chatting about film and television and this is an excuse for me as well just to talk about stuff i've loved my whole life kind of thing and actually have someone to talk to and not to myself or my partner who's probably annoyed with all the things (laughs) i talk to on end about when it comes to this stuff
1: yeah and i feel like for me like i had a very and uh not necessarily like sheltered upbringing, but like my my family like found things that they liked and like that's what we sticked to. And so I feel like that kind of philosophy made its way into my like media consumption. So I've kind of realized that I've pigeonholed myself into certain genres or TV series and things. And I, I, I will play the game of like, occasionally being like, I'm gonna pick three random numbers and Um, Actually, I did this with a buddy once, which maybe this is something we can do. I can put on your radar. But it's you pick two random numbers. The first number, you go on a streaming service of your choice and you go to genres. And whatever that number is, that's how many times you click down to find your genre. And then your second number is how many times you click over. And that's the movie that you wind up watching. But when I feel like there's so much, which there is like content out there to actually watch sometimes I feel like I'm going to resort back to what I know because I'm, like, overwhelmed.
0: Oh, yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. Yeah, it's been hard. Me, I'm a big fandom person. I mean, I grew up off of Star Wars. Like, Star Wars is this near and dear fandom to me. I mean, I've got very mixed feelings about it now in recent years, and that's, like, a whole different can of worms we can open on a different episode kind of thing. I have to
1: mentally prepare myself for that one. That'll be, like, the Chandler show featuring Adam. But, yeah, this this
0: is a good excuse to, like rewatch things, dive deeper into stuff. Also, it's a little selfish because I recently finished Better Call Saul and I was like, I want to rewatch Breaking Bad, but I want to talk about it with someone. So that's a little teaser because we'll be diving into that in future episodes because Adam has never seen it.
1: I absolutely know nothing about it except when I was in high school. Everyone thought that they made really fun Halloween costumes and all posted themselves holding, like, bags of rock candy. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> that is that is quite literally the only thing uh, that I know about Breaking Bad. But anyways, for this kind of, like, first episode,
0: we kind of, like, each chose a movie that's kind of, like, holds a special favorite place, you know? Because, you know, honestly, forcing someone to pick, like, their one favorite film's kind of impossible.
1: Literally, I hate that question, too. Like, any of those who are in the dating pool, I'm sorry, because the basic question of, like, what's your favorite movie? It feels weird to list out, like, ten. Anyways, the film I chose that's very
0: special to me is the movie Drive from 2011, starring uh, Ryan Gosling, uh, directed by Nicholas Winding-Ruffin.
1: Oh, should I say my movie? Yeah, yeah, you say yours. That's my my (laughs) bad. Uh, (laughs) And my movie is I picked Comet from 2014, um, and that is uh, who I'm actively looking up who is starring in that movie because uh, I was not prepared. Great. Uh, and the stars of that movie are Justin Long and Emmy Rossum. What do you want to start with? You want to start with Comet? Let's we'll start with Driver. Oh, let's we'll start with Drive. Okay, so Drive, um, or Drive, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah Dri- Driver. No, it's a different movie, uh, it is uh, a different which movie, which is different than Taxi Driver, which is different than Taxi. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, I came across Drive uh, in college. When I was also taking film classes, and this one just like kind of blew me out the water. Not only because it, it looks stunning and beautiful, just the shots that Nicholas Winding does throughout is just never thought someone could capture that much beauty on film. Sometimes in a, in a new way, but also this is where I discovered my my new love of music genre of synthwave wow that the music blows me away
1: agreed that was the highlight of this film for me
0: and it's and it's so unique of how it's used because the sound design alone throughout this movie wow there's just either raw as raw and realistic audio so there's like lots of silences not a lot of like fluff Uh, sound beds which is just like you know ambiance sound that's artificial that you add in later in post to quote unquote make it sound real no we're gonna make it quiet because we're following the nameless character of ryan gosling because he doesn't have a name never has a name
1: through this whole thing and i i wrote that down too i was like we never we never find out his name and he's always just referred to as the driver, and so Brian Grossling's credit like is just driver for this movie, um, which I think is is a really cool choice to make. I I made note of this this
0: time with with the music, like you go between like the silence or very little dialogue that there is in this movie, to like music taking over, and then it's just like this is like a music video.
1: Yes. Okay. So to talk about one specific scene, so. Uh, but I guess like the general overview, right, is that this is a very like action heavy, like film. People get murdered. Like it's 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 very um like crime heisty. Um, which I knew nothing about this film going into it. Uh, so I was I was jazzed. Um, from the get go, I was like, oh, sick. We're we're this is gonna be awesome. But there was one moment that I specifically really liked uh, on the the topic of music, and it was so beautifully contrasted. Was the kiss that happened in that elevator between Ryan Gosling and uh, Carrie Mulligan's character. Meanwhile, there's a hitman in the elevator. So the kiss was like this weird dynamic of trying to not—I don't know—trying to to think of a way out of this like horrible situation that was about to happen with the hitman. But there were these beautiful like synth angel chords that it was like the only time or at least the first time, that they pop up in the whole movie. And the way that that like, scene was shot, 100% what you said, was like a music video. Like If you hadn't been watching the whole film, you would have been like, dang, this poor guy who's stuck in that elevator with this couple making out. Uh, because there's just these beautiful angel like synth chords. Yeah, I, I that was one of my favorite parts.
0: Yeah, I wrote that down as a note because that's the scene everyone talks about from this movie. All the time.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. No.
0: No. It's it's a a, it it strikes with people like throughout the movie. This is like that's there's just this tension building up. But earlier, the driver he he was helping Carrie Mulligan's character, which I cannot remember her name right now. Irene. Irene. That's what it was. Irene. Right. It's a very like oldy
1: kind of name. It's my mom's middle name. I was like, which is, which is very like, that's the reason I remembered it because I've always, I feel like that is a very, I'm not going to say my mom's middle name is old. I'll say it's very classic, but he was helping out her husband who
0: just got out of prison because he owes money to some mob family of some sort. Like, we, we don't really understand the intricacies of the crime world that's around the driver and stuff. But, like, he's, he's a driver for getaways and stuff. He's, like, a freelance driver because his real job in the daytime uh, with his coach, who's Brian Cranston, is being a stunt driver for movies and television. Which is kind of brilliant to like, oh, that's your uh, cover kind of thing. That's that's nice.
1: Oh, yeah. I also 100% just do the way the movie progressed, because like our first shot after the robbery, that first robbery that he drives for is him doing stunt driving and he was in a cop outfit. So I was fully like, is he a cop that also does like getaway driving? Because I was like, what another great pairing of things to like stay low key, I guess. But then I realized it was a it was a stunt driving because he put on the world's most terrifying mask that I had ever seen in my life.
0: Yes, the body double mask. So like it doesn't look too off when you're filming it. Yeah. There's just such a good job of playing with your expectations in this movie. I think it really comes from like his earlier work because he's from oh, jeez, uh, Denmark, I believe. I'm double checking my facts. Yes, Copenhagen, Denmark he did this trilogy of films called the Pusher film series. And it, there are like three different perspectives of like the same crime world in Copenhagen. And it's like really gritty and dirty and raw and like barely any budget kind of movies. But like so much character in there like Mads Mickelson. this is where he was first on film kind of thing which is kind of crazy to see a young Mads Mickelson being like a ridiculous raunchy <laughs> character
1: wait yeah
0: to what we know him now as this like big silent evil character type oh that's cool I'll have to check those out yeah so I, I find that really fascinating and I'm just like oh I can see him uh, Taking what he does well from those films, but like really elevating it to a different style. But like yeah, going back to the elevator scene, it's just like people have died already and like so like there's just this tension there. And then just out of nowhere, it's just this like almost out of character thing of this kiss that happens and like everything shifts kind of thing. The lighting, the like the whole environment dissolve away to be in this one moment. And then it's just like a raw switch of him beating the life out of this person in front of Irene, which is kind of like crazy. Yes. It
1: immediately, immediately contrasted with him, not just like killing him, stomping him to death. Literally takes his body and force of pressure and stomps this hitman to death in the elevator. Like, that was wild.
0: You thought, like, oh, it couldn't get any more crazier because literally, like, not even, like, 10, 15 minutes ago, there's this robbery gone wrong where you see Irene's husband get killed and then the other person of the crime that the driver was with when they're at a motel gets, like, shotgun blown face and he kills two more people. You're like it can't go any crazier than this can it and then it does and then it's just like what what is going on what is going on to me that is like that is ryan gosling's character making the full switch of like i do whatever i have to do to make things right and i do not care how people see me from this point forward He had this kind of like duality, but he thought he had a good balance of it, it seemed, right? Because it was just like, oh, I can keep the crime part, you know, chill over here and like keep the serious me working in a garage and being a stunt driver over here and they don't have to mix because he was trying to get out of the game anyways. There's talks of him trying to be like a race car driver and getting uh, money to get a car and do that
1: which is the whole other part of this which is like then the mob gets involved to help him get the money will not even help him help brian cranston's character shannon to like get the money to buy the race car and ultimately it's that mob connection that led to irene's husband getting killed on the job and the note i wrote literally was quote holy crap the gore escalated so fast because like it's a heist movie and it, and it starts like very action packed and everything. But once the killings started, it was like, whoa, it was not expected, which again, I think goes to your point of like, not misleading the audience, but but making them feel comfortable and then taking a turn and not necessarily making them feel uncomfortable. Like in the gore context, yes, that's uncomfortable. But then with like the kiss scene, we were very comfortable with the way the film was going. And then that happened and it like just causes you to like, pay more attention if that makes sense but yeah with the with the gore especially like when blanche was the the other partner who got the shotgun to the head in the bathroom and that happened and i was like whoa i was i was, I was not ready for that but i liked it i'm not a i'm not a gore person personally but in this film it was i felt like It was done well and it was done in a way where I wasn't like upset because that's that's what happens to me is I'm like, I don't want to see that. And I get like feelings of like upsetness, but I, I didn't have that during this film.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's even though it's brutal and arguably a little over the top, it has a story purpose, which is really different, especially like movies of the time. This is 2011. Right. Like not a lot of people have gotten into gore unless they've been in horror and it's like another Saw film or what have you kind of thing like this is just like using gore as a very character defining moment.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to put it.
0: Which is which is kind of brilliant because it's just like this whole time like throughout most of the movie like Reffin's like making you want to like fall in love with the driver kind of thing I mean it's also Ryan Gosling diving into like the production side of this they flew uh Nicholas winning Reffin out to LA and they set him up in this big house for production like his production house kind of thing he pretty much had all the cast and some crew stay with him because he essentially wanted to like talk about the movie and story and stuff all day every day and at night be shooting the film or watch other movies for homework kind of thing. So like it was this very we're gonna really focus on the story here and the art we're making it. So like and like he and Ryan Gosling would like go out and drive around LA essentially scout shooting, which is kinda like really interesting production method.
1: That is cool yeah
0: because he's also this guy from denmark who's like not been in the u.s a huge amount right he's just like trying to figure out what looks good to him as well as like doing what he does of trying to make an interesting story of getting everyone on board which is kind of like crazy it's like oh he just was like i want the whole cast stay with me in my house I think a part of the house is also an editing suite so they would edit the film after they shot kind of thing because you would just immediately start editing wow which is kind of like that's that's kind of cool but I could understand why that's not feasible in some other aspects yeah. of the film industry
1: <laughs> interesting um that's cool though I like that I mean this is my favorite thing that I've seen of Ryan Gosling and like I am such a big rom-com junkie like don't even get me wrong like I'm I am a sucker for the the love and the drama and and all of that like I you know the that meme of of Ryan Gosling perfect boyfriend material or whatever like I'm here for that this is my favorite thing I've seen him do I I kept waiting for like the the love storyline right because I was like it's Ryan Gosling like they're not going to not give him like a love interest but the way that this, I can't even call it a love story, but this like relationship f- formed how it went, how it ended was just the antithesis of, I feel like everything I've seen him do or be in a, in a movie or a show or anything prior. And I, I loved it. I thought I want to see him do more things like this because he's got like serious chops. Like, Oh, it was so it was so good to just see him, literally barely make a facial expression for two hours like and that's like that's the truth but at the same time like you could read exactly how he was feeling but he didn't show it at all it was it was great i'm thinking back of like when i first watched the
0: film what what i was kind of like kind of focused to look at in this movie and it was like the lighting and color but it's also the eye Reffin has when making these shots because I think about it's like the nightclub scene, right? Because he's going backstage. Yes, there's so much light, mirrors, and everything, and it's so glittery. And then it's just brutality is happening again, and it's this like another juxtaposition of just like even in
1: all this beauty, there's just darkness. One of my favorite parts of that particular scene because he's he's busting into this strip club to get into the back to basically like abuse and threaten this low-level kind of mob-affiliated guy from Albania or whatever. And Ryan Gosling comes in, takes a hammer, whacks this dude, and none of the women who are portraying strippers in that scene flinch. I wound up just watching their facial expressions for any time they were on screen because even that was so interesting to make a choice of to be like they didn't flinch they didn't look afraid they literally turned around in their chairs and just stone-faced watched this man get beat up and then like a bullet pressed into him and and again just no reaction at all and that even kind of led to me being like okay so immediately all of these characters who will never speak and this is the one time we're gonna see them. I already have a very clear understanding of what their lives are like, in that this is not anything that is new to them. This whole
0: movie like just speaks so much on visuals alone. Like that there's barely any dialogue. The most dialogue comes from, I feel like, the mob characters, honestly. Yes. Because we're just like, why is there Italian mobs in LA? Like <laughs>
1: Which I was here for it. I was like, honestly, both of them are like my older cousins and, uh, and uncles and whatnot. Like they were they were very relatable uh, to me as listeners. I am very Italian. All of our context that was verbal came from the mobsters, basically. But that leads me to actually going back to the gore and the violence. There, there are all those killings that start just racking up and piling up. And then we get to this moment where one of the mob guys kills Brian Cranston's character and it is not what I would consider gory trigger warning so don't listen if you don't want to hear how this person is killed but basically like the mob boss goes in for a, a handshake and um, winds up slicing up this guy's wrist and the way it's phrased in the dialogue is like, it's a mercy killing. Like, you're not going to feel pain. It's going to be done soon is basically what this guy tells to Shannon. I One of the notes that I made was like, that to me was the more slash most gruesome killing in the movie. We saw like, literally this lady's head get shot off in a bathroom. And yet that more like peaceful killing, I don't know if you can call it that, but was to me just more evil in a way. I don't know why. And it's like, I could kind of see it coming, like not necessarily that method or like how it was going to happen. But I mean, you know information that puts a mob boss's, you know, life in a little bit of turmoil, like you're going to die. But that moment of, when and how it happened just really took me aback. I was very affected by that in a, in a good way.
0: Yeah, that seems really rough. Just objectively, that's just a rough scene because you just had this character, Shannon, who's just like trying to stop borrowing money from the mob because he clearly has a history of owing the mob because there's something wrong with his leg. He limps all the time. It's got like a cast on. So clearly he had to pay some sort of debt. Yeah, we get told that he got his kneecap broken. So it's just sad when it's just like literally this was just all a bunch of misunderstanding because it's it's Ron Perlman's character who's doing sketchy stuff and causing this whole like money fiasco to happen that the driver just gets stuck in the middle of and brings Shannon in because he's just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to figure out how to solve this and it's just not knowing who's involved and yet it's just like, oh, it's the mob. It's a mob who's trying to do terrible, underhanded things to other mobs from back east, and just these people are just caught in the crossfire. And it was a, uh, I believe it was a, a switchblade razor, I think is what it was. Albert Brooks's character, he like cleans it off and then like puts it back in this like really ornate case. Like apparently this is like a fancy collector's item with a bunch of other very like, whether they're historical or just high value knives. I'm like, that's just a mob thing right there. That's uh These are my killing tools that I bring out on rare occasions when I have to get my hands dirty, these are my utensils.
1: What I think is, is cool too is like that tactic or, or whatever, that almost kind of ceremonial portion of it is very old school mob. But what we're seeing in the movie with everything else that they're doing is like very transitional into the modern world mob. Cause like my context here is that my dad went into the air force because he was quite literally being recruited by the mob in Boston. My dad was a lot older than a lot of other people's dads. He was 60 when I was born. So he was born in like the 1930s. And he would tell me that like he would get up in the morning and there would be like the literal hitmen for the mob having tea with my grandmother, sobbing over their own mothers. And then they would like go leave. And those were the guys who were breaking the kneecaps. And like one of the things I remember having like a conversation with my dad about was just like how like what you see in The Godfather, right? Like where the mob is very like the violence is targeted towards other people in the mob, but like families are off limits. And we see the exact opposite in this movie where it is like they're going to kill any and every innocent bystander who may even vaguely be aware of what's going on. And that's why the hitman was in the elevator. He was being sent to kill Irene. And um, we haven't mentioned him at all yet, but they have like, a uh, Irene and her husband had like a really small son, Benicio. And that was like part of seeing Ryan Gosling's character's humanity was his love and care for Benicio as well. And being more of a father figure than his actual father was and so this hitman was in the elevator to go kill them and i just i liked that as well just that melding of like really kind of old school mob like customs and like even owning a pizza shop and the pizza shop being like the front for like all of the horrible business that was going on and like having the money to like buy race cars and like all of that was like so classic and then the new age of like We're just going to fucking murder people like everyone's going to die. And so it made them stand out, which was good, because if that was not the case, I think that they would have maybe fallen into the background a little bit more, even though the mob was the like, no pun intended, driving force of the plot. But giving them more depth with those layers did cause them to like pop a little bit more when they were on screen, I felt like
0: yeah no i totally agree even though they're like arguably side characters you still understand their motivations like any character that like contributes to the plot has a motivation that you just understand because it's it's made clear through dialogue or just visually of why they're doing the things they're doing like ron perlman's character he's trying to steal this million dollars that's being like smuggled to the west coast that's from the east coast from the old mob families over there to give a finger to those families because he's Jewish, right? And he got made fun of because he was a Jewish Italian mob member. Literally, that's it. But like, it's funny because it's a little hypocritical of him because he goes off on Albert Brooks's character for owning like a Chinese restaurant. Like, what is a mobster like you owning a Chinese restaurant should have a pizzeria no one can eat this you can how can you eat this stuff and it's like well that's the west coast like I don't understand like it's just funny the the hypocrisy with him within himself as a character and like his death or on Perlman's death is brutal as well because that terrifying mask comes back that he puts on so he's not recognized. Ron Perlman's character, he's being driven home by his driver. Ryan Gosling's character is following them and he ends up like smashing them off the road on one of those curvy roads out there in California. The road's on a cliff and then you go down to the beach in the sand and beats the life out of Ron Perlman's character. Like, this is what he's gonna do. He's tired of the threats on irene and uh, benicio and so he's gonna do whatever he can to stop anyone from coming within them and like kind of plays off of how he's becoming this like savior character which is like always a character type that like i despise because it's just like oh yay he gets all the plot armor but like i think it's thrown on its head in this movie because should we follow him because of how he's trying to protect these people and how it just feels very much like this dark road of vengeance more than out of protection kind of thing. And I think that's like really, really interesting character development you just follow. But of course, we should talk about Benicio. I feel bad for this kid.
1: Yes, he was so cute. And again, just like there are things throughout this movie that I think you just mentioned like a a classic, you know, hero arc trope right like i think that's one of the things about this movie in general there are so many tropes in this film that all get flipped on their heads in really interesting ways like one of the notes i wrote down was stupid toothpick denim jacket trope uh right off the bat because we see ryan gosling in like a denim jacket cool guy who can't be bothered with a toothpick in his mouth hands in his jacket pockets walking around and i feel like i feel like benicio's character is also a very classic trope it's the this small kid whose dad is a criminal and is in and out of jail and being raised by a single mom and all of a sudden here comes like Mr. New Guy. But Benicio doesn't talk almost at all. And so it makes when Benicio does say anything like very important. And one of the things I like automatically noticed was that Benicio really only talks to the driver. He doesn't even really talk to his dad at all or even like his mom a whole lot which kind of, I think, emphasized the relationship of the driver taking better care of Benicio and his mom than Standard, who we find out has been in jail this whole time. And then in the movie, we see him get released. And even the welcome back party is like, weird vibes with this son, because Standard's giving like this whole big speech about how he's going to do better. And I stupidly believed him even though again i knew i was like there's no way uh because that is how movies go but i was like wow this was this was done really well but he's like gripping benicio like to him during that whole speech in a very like i don't know dominating and not in an abusive way but just like i'm clinging on to the things that i know sort of way and meanwhile benicio is just like does not look like he's having a good time
0: yeah yeah That scene alone, you can just, like, write a paper on that whole whole party scene. So many things are just going on, and it's just picking up on people's facial expressions. Like, you see this inner turmoil in Irene, and then you switch over to the driver next door, and, like, he hears the party. And, like, I love the audio throughout because it's just that song so it's like oh this is like another music video moment again yeah it was like a couple voices here and there and then standards speech but then it's just back to music and it's like oh we're in another music video again anyways yeah so we could talk so much longer on the movie but I think I think we've, we've said our good piece you got anything else
1: I have I have two more uh, things that are more just like funny side. Um, number one, uh, during the like driving montage where the driver takes Irene and Benicio like around, did they go fully to the to the place where the racing scene from Greece happened? That that's
0: everywhere in LA. To my knowledge, those are just everywhere in LA. Okay. Plus the LA river system. So like. Got it. Like that that's also like Terminator 2 was filmed in like okay, that okay. area
1: too. I saw that and I was like Wait, are you about to race for pink slips? Like I was I was prepared. It looked it looked stupidly similar. Um, and the other thing I said was the line that made me absolutely laugh the hardest in this whole film, because I did not laugh very frequently throughout this movie. There were, you know, witty moments, but I, I actually had to pause it because it came out of nowhere, it was when uh Nino, who is the Jewish Italian mob boss who was kind of orchestrating all of these hits and all of the fuckery. He's in the shop with Shannon and uh, the driver looking at the race car. And then there's a there's like a Mustang or something parked next to it. And it's like cherry red. And in the most, again, just like Jewish, Italian, East Coast dialect, he just goes, Fine-ass pussy mobile motherfucker. And I lost it. It was out of nowhere. There was zero context as to why that was the line that he all of a sudden delivered. Or why it was delivered then. But I cracked up. It was so funny and and i'm so glad they kept it because i i i could not keep it together um so that is my that is my ending moment of like that made me laugh the absolute hardest
0: you're right that that was a great moment and i like literally like not even like a pause later uh the other the other bob guy who's his partner is like go sell him that car okay don't let him keep talking about her bad looking uh stock race car <laughs> oh my god my last thing I guess, the first like 10 minutes of the movie could be its own short film, like hands down. Oh yeah. Cuz it's just it's just so well shot. You understand at like once those 10 minutes finish up and we start getting like this whole title sequence that feels so 90s-esque, right? With like the titles and the music and everything like, oh, this is like the theme song for the movie, I guess, but it's not at all. You understand the tone of this movie from the get-go this is a gonna be a very artistic take on a crime heist type movie and it's just gonna look stunning throughout but yeah i guess quick big shift over to our other movie comet which
1: is a completely opposite end of the spectrum oh absolutely different yeah so I guess for me, Comet is one of those movies that back when Tumblr was really big, I saw like a still image and I was like, oh, like I that's actually let me back. up. That is one of the, the first ways that I like really started to discover like movies outside of my like go tos or just like things that you would see advertised a lot, um, you know, like like the movies that are going to be in the cinemas and stuff was just like scrolling through like Tumblr and finding quotes or still images or something of movies. And then I would just write down the movie title and I started making like a movie list. And so when quarantine hit, I... Was it quarantine? No, there's no way. I definitely watched it a bunch during quarantine. I'm trying to think of the first time I actually watch this film. Okay, I definitely seen it in college. So definitely before quarantine. Well, anyway, I think I saw it around like, maybe 2015. Probably that makes more sense. I have no concept of time. And I remember like watching it and just kind of like what you were saying with this one with drive, like falling in love with the visual imagery of how it was actually like shot. There are so many scenes that are framed in such a unique way that aren't going to be like a, a go-to shot. And they read like pictures. They don't read like a movie or like a film. And that kind of gets referenced within the actual plot with, with some dialogue at one point where um, Emmy Rossum's character says like uh, something along the lines of like, you can, you can look at a picture and there's no like beginning, middle or end um, it's just everything, like right there in, in one moment. So, I have loved how so much of the movie is filmed in a way that reminds you of a portrait rather than like of a film. And then also, the way that the movie is sequenced has no clear beginning and middle or end because, like, part of the film is trying to figure out which there's a little, you know, blip at the beginning. There's like multiple plots of this couple and there are kind of two ways to watch the movie, which is watching each plot line as like these are happening in parallel universes or watching each plot line as just different points in a consistent relationship or both because that's also fun. Um, And so I have also always loved like that aspect of it of like, you can watch it a million times and pick up on something new which i do often or just seeing like something small that doesn't make sense in one part of it that you know fit doesn't fit into like the other three cuz i'm trying to i'm trying to remember and i don't think i wrote it down like how many essentially sequences we see do you know what i'm talking about
0: yeah it's very uniquely done cuz they're like they're as if they are these moments in a relationship that like kind of always happens kind of thing. But the question becomes like kind of, kind of how I kind of came to it. Like the question becomes like, are these real Is this memory versus different possibilities of this relationship? Because it it becomes very wishy-washy of like, did this relationship even happen kind of thing, which is played on meta wise throughout kind of thing. There's a lot of meta talk throughout this movie, which is really really fun because I love it when a movie like points fun at itself, but like it's very artfully done, but like yeah, there are like these like time periods of these relationships are like different arguments or conversations that are very defining of this relationship, and it's whether or not they're within the same universe, alternate universes or if they ever really happen because there's a lot of dialogue from justin long's character about how it feels like a dream or a nightmare but feels real enough that it's like a memory but he can't discern one way or the other which is really interesting
1: yeah i just have so many thoughts and feelings about this movie i feel like because it because at the same time it is very traditional romance movie in in a lot of ways um you know we we see the strife of a couple We are definitely seeing all of it from Justin Long's character's perspective, but there are just all of, and kind of, I feel like what you were just saying plays into this. Like there are aspects to it that make you like just cock your head sometimes where you're like, wait, this was like super normal and now it's not normal anymore. And then like, we're going back to it. And then it's like, wait, why can't he find his words or like, remember what we're talking about and then same thing with emmy Rossum's character I, I feel like yeah
0: yeah i totally agree and like that whole train sequence when they're on the train i'm like we're not in reality right now because that window everything out that window is like like it's like a weird play on traveling because it's like doesn't feel like a real physical world when that first happened in the movie it like triggered me to start looking for it in every scene of like is there something that's distorting somewhere? And, like, there's, like, different parts. Like, I think the, the whole time in Paris when they're there for that wedding in winter or whatever, which is, that's a choice, I guess, for people who want to get married in Paris in winter with snow. And it's cowboy-themed. That's a whole different thing. There was some weird stuff <laughs> that was, like, context that didn't <laughs> yes. matter ultimately, but it was just, like, what? But, like, every time you look out the window in this, like, Parisian hotel kind of thing it like it's like a map painting with like fake snow kind of vibing and I was just like that's not real so what's going on kind of thing and, and that became a game for me which has added a layer for me while watching the story because I've never seen this either so it's like figuring out reality because I the focus of this movie is the dialogue in these moments of time with this relationship that feels ill-fated from the beginning but we learn that kind of ill-fatedness later on in the movie. Like, it's not even at the beginning. It's, it's so uniquely done because of the way it's edited. Because you're just hopping between these moments and, like, circling back and then popping back forward. It's, it's still cohesive, but a little mind-boggling if you're not prepared for it, I feel you know? Yes.
1: Cause it's like scene one, you know, we're basically seeing the introduction of these two characters. Yeah. It's the
0: classic cute me.
1: Yeah. And then like the next scene, we're basically seeing like their, their arguments and downfalls as a couple, but we can tell that like a significant chunk of time has passed. And then it's like the scene after that, it's like, Oh, there aren't significant troubles necessarily but like things aren't right and then we jump to like oh they're just fully not together right now like they broke up and now they're having another like cute meet round two uh on a train where they're like reconnecting and so it just jumps back and forth between all of those different points so yeah 100% like we know that they're doomed from the get-go but like there's still like this weird hope for the best sort of feeling for them
0: yeah because it also plays around because one of the uh interactions is where he visits her again at her apartment as she's going to get married but we don't realize that but like we don't even have that scene like the very beginning of the movie is him coming to that door but we never return to that for like a good 30 to 45 minutes or something. Yep. Right? And you're like, wait, whoa, there's more kind of thing? Like, I I, I can barely handle what's going on already. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, in the second act at that point, where, like, you're following Justin Long's character, Dell, And, like, that starts, like, the meta questions of, like, is this reality? Because he starts having these, like, out-of-character moments of trying to figure out if he's like alive or if he's in a simulation or what what have you like you can only infer so much as he's like also like in this messy relationship with uh Kimberly. I wanted to watch it a second time but I was like no, I got to stick with these like first watch kind of reactions for when we chatted cuz it's 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 there's a lot to
1: unpack. Yeah. I mean now that now that you've watched it once, I, you should definitely go back and watch it again.
0: What really sticks out for me is just the dialogue about relationships, because Dell is very much a all relationships fail, love is never real, but then, like, clearly, which we find out near the end of the movie, even though it's midway through their relationship in Paris, he half believes that now after being in a relationship with Kimberly kind of thing, because he's actually in love with her. He's just he's just a very cynical pessimistic person.
1: I think he's also really narcissistic, which like we get in the beginning of the film in a very endearing way when he's talking to like the doctors on the phone with his mom and we find out like he's in the medical, you know, field and he's portraying that he knows more than the doctors regarding her cancer but it's not done I don't feel like in a way where to me I watched it I was like oh this guy's insufferable like just shut the fuck up and listen to the doctors like it read to me as like okay this is a guy who knows his stuff and just really cares about his mom and wants to make sure that you know she's getting the best care but then like that attitude we kind of see throughout and I think ultimately it is when they're in paris which the paris timeline moment whatever part of their relationship is the most tumultuous i would say or at least the most like volatile where it's like they are exploding at each other and then they're getting very intimate and then they're exploding at each other and he pisses kimberly off and she goes into the bathroom and like he's talking to her through the door and he starts basically like this really beautiful monologue of of the fact of like he he does you know have these like feelings now and how he thinks about her how he feels about her like versus what we previously know about del which is like doesn't you know really believe in love or like any of these things and then what fucks it up is he ends it by basically saying that all of these things he likes about her the reason like she's the best thing to him whatever is mostly because she likes him and at this time as he's going through this monologue he's like pulling out a ring and like we realize oh this is the proposal that kimberly's been waiting for and then he ends it being about him and how he's benefited from everything And that's when she like opens the door and she's like, you almost got me like that was a good one. And then we're back to like this explosiveness and he never proposes. He like locks the ring back up. And that was like a really sad moment. But also I think that was a really defining moment of like, oh, he's he's kind of a dick, but he doesn't realize he's a dick. And that's the problem. Like if he knew or if he just let go for two seconds, there would be no conflict. But unfortunately, he is the problem. (laughs)
0: It's hard to tell if he like realizes that by the end of the movie because the movie just ends in a very like I don't even know how to describe it's like this like <laughs> implosion in a sense. Yes. Cause like like throughout the movie, like as we switch through these moments in time, it's like this aberration kinda happens as we switch through it. Like as like initially to me, it's like he himself is like shifting through time to these moments but then like quickly threw away that idea because it'd be that moment him and his mindset like there wasn't like shared information necessarily but like that also got messy later on through the movie because everything seems to seem to like be breaking into each other it's such an interesting take on relationships and and how to express that in film and ultimately what it means for knowing the faults within yourself. Like, it's a very, like, a relationship you partake in can only be as healthy as you are.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: It's very beautiful how that's kind of communicated in the film.
1: Yeah, and I and I think we see that too. I Wow, I really like that, what you just said, because even though I said, like, Paris is the most, like, volatile timeline there's another one where we found out that Kimberly cheated on Dell, And I just was so intrigued by the way that that conversation between the two of them happened, where it was like Dell almost couldn't believe that she cheated, but not in the way where it's like somebody is heartbroken and like, how could you do this to me? like, that we typically see, but just in, like, an absolute, like, I did not realize that this was a possibility. Like, Like, almost as if, like, he discovered that there was a different answer to a math equation than, like, what he initially came up with. And then, in accordance with this weird universe that we're in, it just immediately started downpouring, and then he got a call that his mom died. So, like, we really just threw him to the wall, but his reaction stayed unbroken. He was like I I just can't like I can't believe you cheated on me. Like it was clear he was feeling sadness. I put a question mark on the end of that because I don't think that's the word that truly applies. Like he was feeling affected. I'll say that. He was clearly feeling affected by that news, but not in a way that read as like this was a healthy relationship and a healthy response. Not that there's a healthy response to like getting cheated on, but like I feel like there's a very normal response to getting cheated on. Which is like, holy fuck, like, what the fuck, freaking out, sadness, and we just don't see that at all from him. The
0: emotions we get from him, if any, right? Because he feels very emotionless because, like, it's his, like, narcissism that, like, outshines everything else. The The only emotions we really see is anger because yeah. he doesn't understand why he isn't paid attention to and stuff like that, right? It's it's very selfish, and it's like us as the audience is like, is he going to learn from these selfish habits kind of thing? Is he going to realize that he keeps prioritizing himself and his feelings over literally everything else in his life? Kind of like a subplot in the movie. It's like he's like a doctor who's been developing medicine to help cure cancer
1: right yep and doing some unethical testing and things that we find out too
0: which plays like into his narcissism because like the drug that he's developing he ends up just giving it to his mom to help cure his mom which becomes successful because the cancer goes into recession but then ultimately like things just like on that yeah yeah that new york because she's like out in LA or something. He's in New York, right?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Which is really, really interesting because that's that's a whole commentary about distance, right? Like let's throw them as the most logical distance apart we can in a American relationship. One's in New York, the other's in LA because that's like two different worlds across a massive landmass. And like that's the most distance defining you can do. Is it the distance that caused the rift in a relationship, or is it just like realizing how how much narcissism Dell has? And then it's just like, yeah, thing after thing, like the rain happens, and I'm like, oh my God, this this mon quote unquote monsoon in New York moment is so <laughs> so John Cusack Say Anything or High Fidelity vibe. In. And I'm like, oh my God, this movie is referencing so many other rom-coms, but like so artfully that it's just brushed off like it doesn't get a second thought because he just immediately goes inside to the bar and then <laughs> yes. just, like, continues having this argument <laughs> instead of just like staying in there and like having that like stereotypical rom-com like tragedy in the rain he's just like no i'm getting out of the rain like duh i care yeah, about exactly. myself
1: <laughs> <laughs> and there's a whole i think what happened, his phone dies in the bar too right and he like freaks out and like it it involves him i don't know i think it was like needing to get removed from the bar or something because of his freak out over the phone dying not any of the other things that happened like not the fact that his mom died not the fact that his girlfriend cheated on him his cellular device lost battery and oh no i think it was he was getting call from a doctor throughout
0: the whole yes call with kimberly and he's getting annoyed by it because he's like why can't people understand i'm having a serious conversation with someone who just cheated on me like how could they not think about me and what i'm doing at all times and it's just like dude
1: dude <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember what it was. But, like, that, that to me, too, was just, like, again, not, I guess where I was going with that was, like, he was upset over the thing that should not have been the issue. And it didn't read as, like, the straw that broke the camel's back. It read as, like, no, that's actually the thing he's upset about and not the other thing. Which, again, uh, just, I, I like the character of Dell in terms of, like, liking a complex, interesting person to watch. I don't like him. He's not relatable. Like no, we shouldn't want to be Dell. Um but like as a as a character to watch existing in a world that is literally glitching is is fun, which I think the sound design comes into play there too. I this film had a lot of kind of like synth chord play throughout it as well and then when you saw the world kind of glitching and even sometimes when you didn't there were like music glitches that added on to just the weirdness of like, are we in reality? Who knows?
0: Yeah, it's it's so unique, cause like the whole glitching itself is just this whole interesting a- aesthetic and style that was clearly talked thoroughly about of like how how do we visually and sonically feel this. And what does it mean? Cause it's, it's very, it's, it's sporadic. It's also like unnerving at times, you know, cause it's, and then like, it starts showing the, the cracks and like reality, what you're watching may not be fully reality the whole time. You're watching like someone, which is like played on because uh, at the beginning of the movie, like Dale almost gets hit by a car and it's, like, all unsure if like, did he get hit by the car? Did he not? Is this all, like, he died and this is all playing out as if he didn't die kind of thing? Like, it, it the movie plays on that, like, and makes commentary on that the whole time.
1: It's the whole, like, li- your life flashes before your eyes, like, right before you die. So that is a... It, 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 that's absolutely played on, I feel like, is, like, are we watching the life that did not actually get to happen... Flash before his eyes and that's why there are these confusions and these jumps and like the reason the ending is an implosion literally rather than you know uh, a sense-making end it kind of like makes you
0: look inwards to yourself kind of thing like it it does that job of like oh now i have to just like think about myself and how i am with the relationships i have with other people and think about my past, which I hate doing, <laughs> by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I agree. But, like, it, it forces a little bit of, like, self-reflection, which is really interesting. Because, like, as I as I got through this movie, I was like, this vibes a lot like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Ooh, but very different at the same time.
1: That is true. I love that. I love that film, too. Yeah.
0: Because it's, like, it's, it has similar vibes, but very different paths.
1: Yeah, I would de- I would absolutely put them in the same category. It's like Sad Boy Hour. And Those are the movies that you watch during Sad Boy Hour. You know, <laughs> hopping back to like what you like kind of first said about the uh,
0: talking about art when that happened. Like that line of dialogue, I was like, "Oh, this is a this is an artsy movie." I see. We're playing this game with <laughs> me. You're gonna talk about time based versus still art. It was great because it, it, there's just this throughout meta commentary about art because it's just like even just visually and like some of the dialogue that was happening, it was this discussion about how, how we digest art and what it does to us because, I mean, majority of people, we watch movies or television and stuff. That's how we consume art more or less nowadays. It's a lot less going to an art museum and looking at paintings or sculptures or architecture. That's very much not a huge focus for people nowadays because film is so is is this escape of entertainment. And like kind of like this movie has a commentary on that, whether it's intentional or not, of how we consume time-based media, right? And it's it's very interesting the, the finger pointing that's happening of like, so are you just going to go away and just forget about this? Or is this going to like stay with you? Like, like how do you return to this? If you return to this, you know,
1: well, Um, one of the other dynamics that I would be curious about behind the scenes is um, uh, so the director of this film, Sam, I believe it's pronounced Smail, was dating Emmy Rossum at the time. They got married three years after this movie. He fully, you know, cast her in, his film but I I, so I'm, I'm just curious about you know I saw this movie before knowing that information and was and thought she did a fantastic job so I did not feel like this was a a case of like I was gonna say nepotism but they're not related they were just seeing each other you know uh but like what a what a power couple in this particular movie between her and and the director. I think
0: of Emmy Rossum when uh, of her time on Shameless, which is like a series I barely got into, because she she brings this like raw, like real female character, and it's like we're we're not we're not playing around with any tropes or you know common. This is what women are like kind of saying. It's like, no, she's gonna just full on be a messy human being like we all are, right? We're we're not gonna like powder her up to be this amazing love interest. Like we're gonna we're gonna see the ups and downs, we're gonna see the erratic kind of like mind of just like being stuck in a terrible relationship and make it real, you know? And I and that was refreshing, you know?
1: Yeah. I think that there are a handful of actors right now who come across as, like, a believable, normal person, and I think she's absolutely one of them.
0: And, uh, and not scared of, like, doing the, the dirty emotional work, right? Because...
1: Yes, um, yeah.
0: Because, like, even writers, like, to shy away from that and stuff like that, and, like, there's something to be said of, like, there's there's male writers trying to write female parts kind of thing and not like fully understanding that and like giving the trust to to the actress to like develop that character and know what that character would say or do that's that's what needs to happen more of you know because it's just it produces such a more believable character right honestly instead of some cliche cookie cutter dumb character
1: yep totally
0: well hell yeah go us. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Picking some artsy artsy movies. That's that's kind of all I got cuz I just need to rewatch this movie honestly. Maybe take some time, time away from it, then come back to rewatch it cuz it's a lot. But it's it's really brilliant. It's really brilliant in the in a lot of the subtlety. I'm glad you
1: liked it. Hell yeah.
0: So yeah, those 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 were fun two movies. Do you got anything else to say about
1: either, I guess? I don't think so. This was this was a this was a fun acoustic and visual pairing to watch this week. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I guess
0: we'll get better at like you know at the top of show what we've watched. So like you as as listeners can watch those, but like also we'll, we'll announce at, every, at the end of every podcast, it's hard for the first one to be like, yeah, we're watching these movies kind of thing. So you guys can be on board as well.
1: But we can say what our next week movies are.
0: Yes, we can. Uh, so we decided... Um, Well, I I had the idea and I thought it was a lot of fun and I partially regret it now. It's fine. It's fine. Of kind of guilty pleasure movies, like movies you like, but no, you shouldn't like, you know, kind of thing.
1: So your movie for next week is...
0: (laughs) Oh, we're starting with me. All right. Okay. So my movie that I chose is this dumb teen sex comedy, Sex Drive from 2008. It's stupid, but I think it plays
1: on the trope of teen sex comedies. And uh, mine, I had, I literally uh, texted Chandler and I said, I'm sorry, I have to go with Twilight, which also came out in 2008. And to know that these two movies came out at the same time is fascinating. That's what you have to look forward to. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, tune in next time for when we talk about Twilight and Sex Drive. But yeah, anyways, if if any of you listeners have ideas for us for themes and stuff or like you want us to like focus on anything, uh just we have Breaking Bad lined up. Well, there's a plan to start getting through Breaking Bad, so don't worry about that.
1: You can come on the journey with me as I discover what the hype about this show was. But yeah, if you got any other ideas, like I have, I
0: have ideas for when we get closer to October because I like horror a lot. So I just got to figure out like what Adam could digest because he's not a huge gory person. So we'll all we'll, we'll have this journey when we have that.
1: I, I told Chandler that um, I hate horror, but my girlfriend loves horror, so um as long as she's with me uh and you know holds my hand through the movie i'll watch it so <laughs>
0: yeah i think i think that'll do it for this first episode i think i think this will be fun i think this is going to be a good time good time to chat about movies and tv that we watch and finding fun stuff and me geeking out about stuff i've seen and you as well great Great. Wow. Wow. Thanks. Just leave it hanging. I, I, I,
1: well, it, sounded, it, was a, it sounded like there wasn't a cutoff, so I was waiting, <laughs> and then I waited just a little bit too long, and then it was over. That's <laughs> fine. We're figuring this out.
0: We We. we are both very much behind-the-scenes people. We don't do a lot of this in front. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we just want to thank you all uh, for listening. You can find us podcast all the places, hopefully, like Spotify, Apple, Music, uh all the podcast places hopefully if I've done my work right leave comments rate us you know do the thing you know and spread the word because you know podcasts live and die by word of mouth true we'll see you
1: all next time adios